We are going to be in the book of 1 John this morning. If you brought your Bible with you, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up there. That's 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 15. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. There's probably also a few Bibles somewhere in your vicinity if you would like to read out of one of those. Uh, let me begin uh, just by saying thank you to everyone for the gift uh, last week. Uh, it was a surprise. Uh, very rarely are you able to pull the guy, pull a surprise over on the guy who's supposed to be running everything. So I was very impressed uh, that you guys did that without any, any notice from Cheryl or myself. And uh, we are deeply, deeply appreciative, not just for that gift, but uh, also just for, for you guys in general, uh, for what you mean to us. Uh, like Bill said last week, we are looking at here in just a few weeks, uh, celebrating five years uh, here, and uh, it's been a great five years. Uh, a lot of things have changed. Uh, we were just three when we came here, now we're five, uh, that's, so that's one big change, uh, and uh, God has really blessed us, and uh, we're just grateful to be a part of what he's doing in this community, uh, and grateful to be a part of this family, so thank you. Uh, like I said, we're in the book of First John, and we are continuing along uh, in our series over prayer. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about listening to God, uh, to stop talking and to pray, uh, to hear what God has to say instead of just speaking all of the time. Uh, a couple of weeks before that, we just kind of talked about prayer in general and looking at ourselves as a people of prayer and looking at, at this place, not this place, but this, this people, us as a church, as a household of prayer and what that would mean and what that would look like. And as we continue to go along through prayer, we will be remiss, I would be remiss if we talked, if we didn't talk about probably the most talked about thing in prayer and the most difficult thing about prayer. And that's why this sermon is entitled, The Problem with Prayer. You know, there are some questions that I always answer yes to, no matter who's asking it, uh, or it might depend on who's asking it. If it's my son asking, there's some questions I'm always going to say yes to. Corbin or Cannon or, or Kai, eventually when he begins to speak, ask daddy, do you love me? I'm always going to say yes to that question. I'm always going to say yes if somebody asks, do you want seconds? I'm always going to say yes to that, most likely. That's a joke. I'm not always going to say yes to that. But um, there are questions that I will always say yes to. Uh, are, is your favorite football team the Cowboys? Yes, of course. Do you love your wife? Yes. I'm always going to say yes to that question. Do you believe that God has a plan for you? Yes. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes. There's always questions that I'm going to always say yes to. There's also questions that I'm always going to say no to. Um, do you uh, like broccoli raw? No. I'm going to say no to that question. Are, are you a fan of, I won't name any other teams, but other teams that you don't like? Are you a fan of, uh, uh, do, you, do you want to wear maroon and white instead of orange? Uh, no. The answer is going to be no to that question. Uh, there's going to be questions that I always answer no to. But there are questions in between, and most of the questions exist in the in-between. Questions that sometimes I'm going to say yes to, sometimes I'm going to say no to. If I'm in the car, do I want to turn on the air conditioner? I don't know. It depends on the weather outside. Uh, where do you want to go to eat tonight? I, I don't know. That's the big question that you always ask is when you're in a married relationship, right? Uh, I don't know. It just depends on what I'm feeling like. It depends on what's going on around me. What do you think we should do next? Well, that depends on what we just did and, and what I think is coming after that. So there's a lot of those questions where it just kind of depends on the situation, Questions I would want to say yes to most of the time, but in some circumstances, I might have to say no to. When my child asks me for 
uh, something that is, is good for him, like another bite of supper or, or uh, an opportunity to, to, uh, to, to go do something for someone else. I know there are times where I'm going to say yes to that most of the time, but there are also times where I'm going to say no to that because there's something more important or more pressing that needs to be done. And so the question that I alluded to a moment ago and that I'm going to spend the rest of our time together on is what do we do when God says no? in prayer, when God's response to our question, when his response to our desperate seeking for a certain answer to a certain prayer is either silence or we conceive it, we perceive it as an all-out no. What do we do then? It's easy if it's a simple prayer. God, don't let it rain tomorrow. And it does rain. Okay, God decided to let it rain. We can get over that. But when it's something that we feel that we really need, it's a little different. Our own health, the health of someone else, salvation for someone that we love and care for desperately, deliverance of an entire people or nation or peace in the midst of war, things that we feel like we desperately need when we perceive God saying no to those things, it's a little different and it's a little difficult. So what do we do when God says no, especially when we really need him to say yes? This morning I want to put before you this, and it's going to sound contradictory and, and we'll get to that, but here's, here's what I want to focus on. Sometimes God says no, but he always says yes. We're going to parse that out a little bit, but let's focus on that. Sometimes God says no, but he always says yes. And we're going to look at this idea through the lens of 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Just to give you a little context on the letter so that you know what's going on, we read it here in just a moment. John is writing to a church to counteract some false teaching, a group of people that biblical scholars have taken to name the secessionists. Uh, meaning that they had false teaching and they were seceding from the group. They were pulling away from the group. They were leaving the church that John was writing to. It was causing problems. It was causing doubt. It was causing frustration. We can see that as we read between the lines in the letters that John wrote. Most likely, the false teaching that was being taught had to do with a few things. A couple, among, a couple of issues amongst those things was that they were teaching that Jesus wasn't really God's son or that Jesus wasn't really fully human. Uh, they couldn't deal with him being fully God and fully human, and so they kind of said one of those two things isn't the truth. Or another thing, and if you, read, if you know the book of 1 John well, you'll remember some of him, him, him addressing some of these issues. Uh, they believed that they didn't sin. Um, you remember that passage in John where he says, if you say you don't sin, then you make God a liar, right? Uh, of, course, of course we sin. We all make those mistakes, and there's several other things going on as well, but what you mainly need to know is that he's writing to counteract their teaching and also to encourage the believers who are being, mainly to encourage the believers who are being negatively affected by the teaching of this group that's pulling away and trying to steal other people away from the faith as well, trying to bring people with them as they go in this false teaching direction. These people, these believers that John was speaking to in this part of the world at this time on the earth were already a, already a minority. And now things were getting smaller. Some people were leaving. If you've ever been a part of an organization, a church, a school, anywhere else where people are leaving in droves, there's that sinking feeling that comes that these people were probably undergoing. 
the exhaustion of having to deal with that while also being a minority already and dealing with the opposition from the rest of the world must have been almost overwhelming. And so John writes these letters to these people to give them hope, to give them assurance, to remind them that Jesus is still on his throne, that the Jesus they believe in will still bring them eternal life, that all things will be made well if they continue to follow after this Jesus that he told them about. You see, John's gospel is mainly for, or you can kind of take it this way, John's gospel is for unbelievers to tell the story of Jesus Christ. But this epistle of John is for the church to assure those who already believe to encourage them within their salvation. And it is in that context that we have this short passage about prayer that we're about to read. Before we read that, let's go to God in prayer one more time. Father, we want to thank you for today. God, we want to thank you for this this body. God, for who you are among us and within us. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to sing the truth that we believe and declare back to you. God, to thank you for being a God who hears our prayers. God, to thank you for being a God who is with us even when those prayers are answered no. Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, Lord, right now, that you would remove distraction from us. God, that you would speak through me and get my flesh out of the equation. And Lord, that you would allow each of us to hear exactly what you want us to hear. And through your Holy Spirit, implant that within us and do a work of transformation. God, leave us different after encountering your word. And God, we thank you for hearing us this morning, for opening your ear, for listening to what we have to say and responding according to your good and perfect will. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. John writes these words. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us, or according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So again, John is speaking a word of assurance. He says these things pointing back to what he had been saying. You kind of see it summed up in verse 12, which which we didn't read, in which he says that whoever has the son has life. He is writing these things, this entire letter, to make sure that the people know that they have the son. That means if they do, that means they have life. That means they have assurance. That means they have eternity. That means they have hope if they do have a relationship with the son. John's heart is to remind the believers of their place in God's love despite the chaos around them. Now, when you believe that God is saying no, the first thing you can do is rest in your salvation. When you believe that God is saying no, rest in your salvation. Remember what is true. Something I say often that I rely on in my own life often is when we come to something we don't know, let's remind ourselves of what we do know. And what we do know is that God loves us, that God gave his son Jesus for us. And when we come into a situation where we can't see a way out, we can't understand why this is happening, we don't see the hand of God as clearly as we would like to in what seems to be a chaotic and sad situation. When we find ourselves in the middle of that, the first thing we can do is rest and what we already know. Rest in our salvation. 
Rest in God's love for us. Rest in the presence of the Holy Spirit within us in the times that he has testified of his presence to us. When you believe God is saying no, rest in your salvation. This is what he was saying to the people here that he's writing to, that John is writing to, reminding them that, again, even though it didn't look good around them, even though people were leaving, even though there was reason to be upset and reason to say maybe God isn't doing what we asked him to do, he reminds them that if you have the Son, you have life. And he's writing these things so that they might trust in that reality. But then he goes on and makes his main point, or or the main point for this sermon anyway, in verses 14 and 15 talking about the confidence that we ought to have in God and what that confidence looks like in prayer. That if we ask for anything, he will be faithful to deliver. Anything, it says. Anything. That if we ask God for anything, this is the only place in Scripture Jesus says something very similar in the Gospels there that, that Paul and the other writers, John, even back in chapter 3, said kind of the same thing. That if we ask anything... And that's usually how we read it. We don't put the qualifier in there. We just read it that if, you know, God says if we ask anything, then we'll get it. It's the name it and claim it theology. Uh, That if we see this promise, okay, God will give us anything, so I should be able to ask for anything. and, And that will be in a way manipulative towards God because he has to give that to me. That's ultimately what that theology is, by the way. Where you say, God, you said this, so I'm asking for this. You said anything. This is included in anything. So now, God, I'm going to to read this word back to you, and you have to give me this thing that I'm asking for because it's included within anything. But there is that qualifier that we always want to leave off, that if we ask anything according to his will, makes things different very quickly. If we ask anything according to God's will. John Stott, in a commentary I was reading, said that every true prayer is a variation of thou will be done. Every true prayer is a submission to God's ultimate will. Even as we ask, every true prayer has included within it, if not said out loud, at least understood behind and in between the lines, thou will be done. In his gospel in chapter 15 of the gospel with his name on it, John talks about this very thing when he talks about the vine and abiding in God. And it's if we abide in him, he will abide in us. Then we can ask and we will receive. But there's always an if. There is a condition. There is a qualifier. If we ask according to Jesus' name, then he will give us what we ask for. All of the different writers put it different ways, but in the end there is always at least an understanding, if not said outright, that if we ask anything, it's got to be anything in his will, anything according to his name, anything according to God's good pleasure. Another commentator by the name of Robert Law writes much more eloquently than I could ever say, so I'm going to read what he said. And he says these words. The prayers of those who keep God's commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight are nothing else than echoes of God's own voice, impulses of the divine will itself, throbbing in the strivings of the human will and in the mystic circulation of the eternal life returning to their source. That's very poetic sounding very beautiful sounding, to simplify it. What he is saying is, for those of us who are in God's will, who pray according to God's will, when we pray, it is us echoing back God's will to him. And of course, God is going to say yes 
to that. Now again, he says it more pretty. In the mystic circulation of the eternal life, God's voice returns to its source and God is faithful to deliver. Jesus taught this truth. Jesus lived this truth. Anytime I come to this question, I cannot avoid Gethsemane. I cannot avoid the prayers that God, that Jesus offered in the garden. A desire for things to go a different way than what he knew they were going to go. If you read the Gospels prior to the garden, you knew that Jesus was headed this direction. You knew that he knew that he had to die. You knew that this was coming. And yet in the garden, he asked for the cup to pass from him, for God to do something a different way, to change the plan, to do something in his flesh, in his humanity. He asked for this. Yet as he is praying, Jesus, who knew God better than any other person who's ever been on the face of the earth, as he was praying, he knew that God's will was different. And so he submits in the end and says, not my will, but your will be done. It's not the only place that Jesus does that. When he tells us how to pray in the model prayer, he says the same exact phrase. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Jesus' request of God that he tells us to ask for when we go to God in prayer, to ask for God's will to be done. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't offer the request of your heart? No. Gethsemane says that we should offer the request of our heart. The book of Psalms is full of people who offer the depths of their heart and the desires of their heart to present those to God. God knows those already, so we should give those to him put those before him. But in the end, we have to remember that everything goes according to God's plan and not ours. And when that happens, sometimes God says no. I wish that wasn't the reality in my flesh, in my humanity. When I'm thinking in my right mind, I'm glad that God has it figured out and doesn't need my advice. But in my flesh and in my humanity, I wish that that wasn't the truth. I wish that I could say, God will say yes if you say this particular prayer. Let me go ahead. I I feel like this should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, just because it's so prevalent in our world today. If you see any teacher on television, online, or in person saying, if you just had more faith, then God would say yes to your prayer. Or if you just believed in this set of realities or in this exact scripture, and if you just knew the Bible well enough to name it and claim it, then then God would say yes. Or even worse, and again, you see this, just watch some televangelists. If you just send in this money and, 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 and plant a seed of faith, then of course you will reap back what you have sown, and God will be faithful to deliver to you, and you need to do it today because we have to meet budget next week. When you hear those voices coming up, I want to tell you in love and in Jesus' name, that is false false teachers from the pit of hell and you need to not listen to them because it goes directly against the truth of scripture directly against the truth of scripture and what it also says is an affront to the divinity of Jesus Christ himself because what it says is that if you just do these things your prayers will be more effective than the prayer of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane think about how ridiculous that is to actually think that, when you really spell it out. If anyone is telling you that if you just do this, then God will say yes to your prayers, they are saying that they know something that Jesus didn't in the garden, and they can manipulate God into doing something that even Jesus couldn't when he asked for the cup to be passed from him. 
God says no sometimes. It's not a reality we want when we want something, when we need something, but it is the reality that is true and that is evident in the world around us, evident in scripture as well. God says no sometimes. But we keep trusting. Remember, John's goal is assurance. He is there to remind the people of what they believe and of who they believe in. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he's done for you. I hear John saying to that, remember. Remember these things so that you may have faith in the midst of things that aren't going the way you want them to. Remember who Jesus is. Jesus is a sovereign creator. Jesus present in the Godhead at the beginning is sovereign creator, speaking everything that exists out of nothing, speaking it all into existence. He has power over everything that is. Jesus is merciful savior. That despite the fact that he owes us absolutely nothing, as a matter of fact, the only thing that you could say that he owes us is a reciprocal death, reciprocal pain that we offered up in our sin to his son Jesus on the cross. Despite the fact that he owes us nothing, he shows us mercy, doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve, and then goes beyond mercy to give us something that we don't deserve, something that we didn't even know we needed, something that we didn't even know how to ask for. He is a merciful savior. He is humanity's redeemer. He is with us in the here and now today. He is here to take what is bad and to turn it into something beautiful. He is here to take your life of sin, your life of walking away from him, and turn that into a story of what it looks like when someone comes back to him. He's there to take your trials, your tribulations, the times that he said no, that things haven't gone the way you wanted them to. He is there to take that and remind you that he works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is at work in everyday life being humanity's redeemer. And he is the eternity giver. Paul says in Romans 8 that the sufferings of today are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming in the future. What we have ahead of us in eternity. Oh, as we're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, as we sing that for eternity, as we rest in the newness of God, as he makes things new in every moment, as we rest in the beauty that is unimaginable as we exist on this plane today, as we rest in that, we will not be looking back and thinking, if only God had answered that prayer, then maybe everything would be perfect. In eternity, it will all seem distant. That's my guess anyway. I haven't been there yet. Jesus is sovereign creator. He is merciful savior. He is humanity's redeemer and he is eternity giver. Remember what you know. Remember what you can be assured of. And remember that it is him that we approach in prayer. And remember as we talked about last week, sometimes we need to listen and realize that perhaps prayer isn't to change God's mind, but it is to change our heart, to change us to mold us into the kind of person that God wants us to be, into the kind of attitude he wants us to have. Robert Law, who I quoted earlier, he also said this in his uh, commentary over First John. He said, the marvelous and supernatural power of prayer consists not in bringing God's will down to us, but in lifting our will up to his. You hear what he's saying there? 
that the marvelous and supernatural power of prayer is not getting what we want, but understanding to want what God wants. Now, that's a wonderful picture to paint. And I could just stop here and walk off and say, want what God's want. Want what God's want. Man, I can't even say it right. My tongue is twisted. Want what God wants. And leave you with that. And say, if you do that from now on, you'll never be frustrated again. But I live in the real world. And there's some things that I really want that I don't understand why God doesn't want them. Things that I've really wanted that haven't happened for other people and for myself that didn't happen. I put this calendar together, this sermon calendar together weeks ago. And I wasn't, I didn't know what was going to happen, obviously, in our community. I didn't know that we would have a young 16-year-old member of our community in the hospital right now, people around town doing benefits for him, hoping and praying that he gets better. I didn't know any of that was going to happen, and I almost decided to go a different direction in this sermon because it was just so raw, at least for me anyway, because I don't understand that. I don't, I can't go into a waiting room and see the pain of a family who's already experienced a ton of pain, more than is fair. And just say, want what God wants, and walk out of the room. I can't do it. I know that it's true. I know that it's biblical. But in that moment, it's pain and it's real. So let me tell you something that I also believe is biblical. It's okay to wrestle with this truth. It's okay to strive with it. It's permissible for you to be bothered and for you to take that to the, front of the, to the throne of the Father. How do I know it's permissible? I've already told you why. Because Jesus did. He was so stressed out in the garden that he sweat like drops of blood. I've read the prophets. I've read the Psalms. I've read other places in Scripture, even where Paul, and in like 9 through 11 of Romans, is, is so worried and frustrated over the, the future of his people, the Jewish people, that he's even willing to give up his own salvation. I see frustration amongst people within Scripture of not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing why what's happening is actually happening, and wrestling with it. So I would never tell you some trite pithy saying that I can throw on a screen is going to fix it all for you. Wrestle with it. If you push down the feelings and act like everything's fine, oh yeah, 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 this is God's will. Now, ultimately, if you can come to that conclusion at the end, that's what we want. But if you know that it's some just, yeah, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to think about this pain. I don't want to go there. So yes, yes, yeah, just God's will. That's unhealthy. And it's going to break at some point, and when it does, it's going to come out big time. So let's lose the trite, pithy sayings. Let's stop naming and claiming, presuming upon the will of God. We don't know what God is going to do. We don't know why God does what he does. But what we can do, and what we see time and time again in Scripture, including this passage in, in 1 John, we can ask boldly, 
The author of Hebrews tells us that, that we can approach the throne of God with boldness because of what he has done, because of the high priest that is for us. We can ask boldly and trust deeply to do both at the same time, to go to the throne with reckless abandon, to go to the throne with absolute desperation. God, can you please bring healing in this situation? God, in my humanity, I don't understand why you wouldn't. It doesn't make sense to not do it. God, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say that I'm frustrated that this is happening. I don't see how this makes the world more like heaven, like you told us to pray. I don't get it, and I want you to bring healing. I want you to bring a miracle, and I'll explain it to God. God, if you would, ah, so much glory would be heaped upon you. And I'm going to own that. But I'm going to know that after I own that and after I present that, that that is the will of Corey Cornett. It's not the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is. What I do know is that he is sovereign creator. He is merciful savior. He is eternity giver. And he is my redeemer. And I can take that to the bank every single time. Because when I ask God, do you love me? His answer is always yes. When I ask God, do you have a plan for me? His answer is always yes. When I ask God, are you going to take care of me? And this young man for eternity, his answer is always yes. When I ask God, are you with me right now? His answer is always yes, because I will never leave nor forsake you. We can take that with everything that we have. God always says yes to those things so that when he does say no, even to what we believe he should say yes to, we ask boldly and we trust deeply, knowing that in the end, God is for us. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, even the things that God says no to. In my humanity, I don't know how to make sense of it. But it's not up to me to make sense of it. It's up to me to trust that God will make sense of it, to give him my heart, to ask boldly and with desperation and to trust him to say yes, even in the midst of his no. Sometimes God says no, but he always says yes. Even his no's are for our good. Even his no's are yeses for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean that it's easy. I'm not giving you some little trite saying to sprinkle over your wound to make it better. I'm giving you a hope, a rope to hold on to in the midst of the depths so that you will know that God is there with you and that ultimately he is for you. Sometimes God says no, but he always says yes. This morning, maybe you're in something in your life where you've heard no, or at least it seems like it by looking at stuff around you. Maybe God has just given you a really big yes. God just gave me a really big yes. And that's awesome, but it makes the no's that he's giving other people harder to bear. If you're in that situation or any other situation and where you're seeking God's face, I'm here to pray with you and for you this morning. I'm here for us to pray together to come before God faithfully and honestly giving him our heart, but trusting him to deliver. 
And if you would like to pray about this or anything else, I'm here to do that with you this morning. I'll be around after the service and we can pray together then. The altar is open. You are always welcome to pray right there where you are. Well, let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in a song of invitation. And you move in whatever way God's calling.